comes from the inside out. When we're living congruently with our values, there's happiness because there is that sense of wholeness. This wholeness is when the way of your being matches the truth of your being. In this episode, we are focusing on the Enneagram Type 2, The Helper. If you are a Type 2, listen up, and you will learn so much about yourself. But just so you know, you might not like all of what you hear, and it might not feel great. Um, I'm particularly going to buckle up because this is my type, Type 2. And to be honest, full disclosure, I have postponed recording this for days because it's tender You start to feel uncomfortable when the world sees who you are on all your levels, but we're going to get started. I'm taking all of my information from the book Enneagram Empowerment, as well as online and Richard Roy's book on the Enneagram. There are links in the notes about how you can learn your Enneagram type for free. You can go to michellewingle.com slash Enneagram and there's a button to take a free test and if you send me your information, I'll send you a, a packet uh, about more about you, about your type. I think I have procrastinated as, enough, as much as I can, so we'll move on to type 2, the helper. Type 2s, some famous type 2s, people that you might recognize are Mr. Rogers, Dolly Parton, Josh Groban, Eleanor Roosevelt, Doris Day, You can kind of get a sense of this type just by those kind of, um, those people. They're kind of a more subdued type. We'll get into more about all of that later, but there's some ideas about what a type two is. Type twos are relational. They're generous. They're empathetic. They can be people pleasing. They're charming, caring, supportive, nurturing, intuitive, and can be possessive. The world of a type two is all about relationships. They are called the connectors because building and maintaining relationships is their primary motivation. In this book, she calls the type two the connector. I might say that every once in a while, but I call it the helper. That's probably the most common name for it. But twos have the sixth sense of empathy and they can sense the needs of others and feelings around them. They're caring, nurturing, and supportive. So we have this thing called an empath, and I think every type can be an empath, but a type two, this is just part of who they are, and maybe it doubles up. I don't know. We'll see. Type twos can make friends very easily, but sometimes friends can leave a type two depleted. It's easy for type twos to get lost in caring for other people and neglecting their own needs. And in fact, I remember one time in therapy asking what I wanted, what were my needs were, and just coming up with a complete complete blank. And still, when somebody asks me, hey, what do you need? I don't know. It's almost triggering in a way that doesn't make any sense. Um, That's just not how I'm programmed. I'm programmed to look at others' needs, not necessarily in negativity toward my own. It's not necessarily always in a sacrificing way. It's just that comes up first. But I I do have to be careful because 
I can give away more than I have my capacity to do. That's something I'm learning about myself. The main obstacle for type 2s is over-dependence and manipulation. They care for others with the goal of being cared for in return. They love and hopes to be loved. I mean, the golden rule is like music to the type 2's ears. Do unto others. It's like, I'll do that first. But sometimes in my egoic self, maybe that is motivated by getting that back. So instead of giving love out, I'm giving love out in order to receive something. Therefore, it's a self-centering kind of experience. So I have to watch out for that. Driven by the fear of not being wanted and loved, type 2s overextend themselves for others. So they will feel needed. Needed is a big word. I mean, if somebody wants to tell me something that is super special to me, they tell me that they need me. (laughs) Uh, What type twos might say about themselves, number one, I prioritize relationships above everything. In relationships, I give more than I get. I put a lot of effort and it's disappointing when when I don't get the same in return. They might say, being close and connected with someone is the best thing. When someone is stressed or upset, I feel like it's my fault or it's my job to make them feel better. A type 2 might say, I have a hard time saying no, and I've been told people take advantage of me because I'm so willing to go out of my way for them. They might say, it's important to me that I'm truly loved and needed. I'm a great gift giver. I find... I love finding the perfect thing. I've been told I'm good at gift giving by my husband. Here's one. I love heart-to-heart conversations. Connecting on a deeper level is one of my favorite things. So these are some things you might hear from a type 2. The key motivations for a type 2 are to have deep relationships. If you want to hurt a type 2 on a deep level, then threaten a relationship. Anything that has anything to do with endangering a relationship or putting it into not making it a priority when somebody does something and they don't think about the relationship, it's horrifying to me. I can't even begin to understand the motivation behind that because my key motivation is the relationship. Another motivation is the need to be appreciated. Man, I don't want that to be true, but I I sense it. I get it. And another motivation is they want to, they want to be wanted and loved. So the key fears of a type two is that they will be unwanted or that they will be rejected or abandoned or alone. Just like the Enneagram, we use your virtue and vice are one of the same. So in order to help calm the fear of being unwanted or feeling unwanted or worry that we're unwanted. We use helper. We use connecting. We connect that with other things that can support us. We, we use all of our virtues to help our vices and that those vices of caring and connecting and maybe losing ourselves, we use those as the key. Those are where our, our, our keys are. So when we're fearful that we'll be rejected and abandoned, we reach out, we connect. 
where maybe if we don't do anything, uh, our, we might wait for someone else to come and connect with us, right? The key obstacles for a type 2 is emotional, di- emotional denial and self-neglect, over-dependence, people-pleasing and manipulation. Okay, Richard Rohr talks about the type 2 being manipulative a lot, and that was really difficult to hear. But I understand that in my mind, it doesn't, it's not manipulative. It just feels like the thing to do. But learning that that was manipulative, what I'm talking about is, you know, the golden rule. If your golden rule is motivated more by what you're getting, then what you're giving is manipulative because it's about receiving more than it is giving. And that's something that we in an egoic type 2 have a tendency to do if we're not careful. That's manipulative. We are nice to someone because we want them to be nice to us. That's manipulation. We have to be careful. So in childhood, many type 2s had a childhood that seemed gray or sad. And some type 2s also recall that early on they had the feeling of having to support the emotional needs of other family members. They had the feeling that they had to make themselves useful in order to be noticed and loved. There was a fatal role reversal between parent and child sometimes, and the child had to mother the adults and maybe deny some of their own legitimate, um, completely selfish needs that a child is just innate at having. You know, a a young child doesn't have the capacity to look outside themselves. They are selfish. They're self-focused. That's how they're built. But sometimes the type two with this reversal had to push that innate characteristic aside and they learned early on to deny some of their own needs. So for a type 2, there's a page in the book that says considerations for growth. And for a type 2, start an intentional pursuit of self-care that includes your physical, mental, and spiritual health. The more you treat yourself like someone who is worthy of love, the more loved and worthy of love you will feel. And the more you care for your own needs through self-care, the more empowered you will be to love others out of a place of security and strength rather than fear and need. So although we love this, I'm needed, there's such a difference in energy of that word between I love being needed and I love being needed, I can't not be needed, right? In being the helper, we help others, we connect with others, so we help ourselves, we connect with ourselves. And I loved the way that she said that the more you treat yourself like someone who is worthy of love, the more you will feel loved. She also says, know that you are worthy of being loved before you offer any love. And this goes with a whole bunch of other ideas and and areas that we can work on. You are free to give away your love. It's not an obligation. So we make it our choice. It's not a responsibility. It's not like it's just a, a mathematical equation. We get to give our love out at our own pace and with whoever we want at our with our own choice. In order to grow, we need to learn to identify and communicate our needs seriously. We need to understand what foods are ours that feed us, both mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. 
how rest feeds us, what our safety needs are, what emotionally supports us, what we consider quality time. We're kind of the ones that will just default to someone else's. In fact, sometimes I always wonder, am I a nine? Because nines are that way. Nines are known as the chameleon. They can fit in any, anywhere. So you can see how those two kind of energies kind of align and make it difficult. And supposedly a lot of twos really are nines. So that's something to look at. Learn to recognize our needs and to meet them intentionally. That's the part of the manipulation a little bit is it's like somewhere there's this little switch that went off that says, if I do this, that should happen instead of just making sure it happens instead of just creating it ourselves. So we need to intentionally um, meet our needs and desires and know about ourselves. It's not something that maybe is innate. We need to verbally ask for our support and that that's again, that's manipulation. It's like you just assume somebody knows, but it's very empowering to know ourselves and then be able to speak our needs. Super important for a type two. If you don't do this, she says, you might resort to passive aggressive methods or getting your needs met that end up hurting you and others in the end. She also says that we need to find the lines between me and another people and other people. So where do I end and where do other people begin? Sometimes that line is very blurred because we have this empathetic connection with others. So ask ourselves, which choices are theirs to make and which are mine? Which emotions are theirs and which are mine? Which problems are theirs and which are mine? And if we feel depleted by a relationship, we need to learn where these lines are. Things work better when you take up responsibility for your own stuff and let go of other stuff. And this is something that I'm working on right now is really creating a language around the idea that, and maybe it's just for me, I think it's for more people than just me, but when we have these boundaries, it's not about, hey, here's where you can't cross this line, here's where it ends for you and me, and don't encroach upon my space. That's one way of using a boundary, but another way is understanding where I end. So when I give of myself too much, then I may hold some resentment. Now, once the resentment arises, it's really more difficult to work with because it's there. But what I can do is create a boundary ahead of time so that that resentment doesn't arise. That's a better way of creating a boundary. It's like, I know myself well enough that if I give myself away too much, I will have resentment. And then when that resentment comes, it makes our diff our relationship super icky and sticky for a minute. And so it's just better if I stay behind that line than cross over that line. It's about the best way I can show up as my own individual person in this relationship or in this situation. So I've got to know myself well, because it's better to prevent that resentment than it is to pull it down, take it apart, spin thoughts in our heads like, well, they probably didn't mean it. And, and it just goes on and on because we've got to talk ourselves out of this resentment, which is just there. We didn't ask for it. It's because we pushed beyond our capabilities. She also says for growth, we have to decide what our life is about and then invite others to join. And whoa, that's huge. Even to just read it right now, it's like, 
I'm, my energy is so much about joining in, but we have this peace. We understand connection. We understand relationships. So if we can invite others in, she says, if you are being yourself and pursuing a life you care about, there will be people who want to share that life with you. You won't need to convince anyone to stay around by proving your place. You must release the idea that you have any control over whether others will stay or go. Just let that go. And know that if you've done your work, you have these keys of connection, love, empathy that are huge. And that will take care of this part of the relationship. And you don't need to dance for it. You don't need to hustle for relationships anymore because you've got it. So just invite others in instead of move out and try and convince them that you're worthy enough. So in the first episode, the intro, I talked about how we have these negative thinking traps and they are all or nothing thinking. We have a mental filter. These are cognitive behavioral therapy ideas, but they're really helpful in understanding ourselves and how we might use these. Overgeneralization, personalization, catastrophizing, mind reading, minimization, fortune telling, labeling, should statements, emotional reasoning, and disqualifying the positive. These are adaptions from Feeling Good. It's a book, and it's, like I say, it's cognitive behavioral therapy. You can Google them and understand what they all mean, like labeling your attachment, broad label to yourself or others, personalization, thinking other people's uh, behaviors are about you. So I'm just going to name them here. We, we talked about them in the first episode. But type twos, when they have empowered thinking, their motivated fears are remember, let's, re- let's remember, they will, I will be unwanted, I will be rejected and abandoned, I will be alone. These are motivating fears. So if I fear that I'm going to be alone, that motivates me to act. And sometimes if I'm not at my best, that action isn't for my best good or for anybody else's best good because that's a tender, tender spot or rejected or unwanted or disconnected from when someone in any way does a disconnect to me. It hits just a different spot than I think the rest of the people. It's a special tender, tender spot. For me, a negative thinking example might be I'm walking down the street and I see somebody and they have a frown on their face and I think they must be mad at me. I must have made them angry. This is personalization. Like we automatically feel responsible. Type twos can do this. If this happens, an alternative uh, empowered thought would be they have a frown on their face. They could be tired or sad or mad or anything else. Like I had to learn very very early on that I'm giving myself one possibility. I've talked about this experience I had, my possibility hallway where I I, I really visualized this idea of possibility and and it helped me because instead of just narrowing down to one possibility, I recognized that whatever was coming up for me at that moment was simply one possible explanation for what was going on. And although it could be true, there were dozens more possibilities. So opening the possibilities up. Another empowered thinking, maybe a negative example might be, they made that negative remark about me last week that hurt my feelings. It's all I can think about. This is a mental filter. So we start to spin, those thoughts start to spin over and over again. And what we can do instead is they made a hurtful remark about me 
but they also have made several positive remarks about me, I will think about those positive remarks too. And we help ourselves connect with the positive to help us pull out of it. So see how we help and connect? So we help ourselves connect with positive statements in order just to kind of bring ourselves into some balance. Here's one. They still haven't found a job. I bet they feel scared. Maybe they'd appreciate some job hunting ideas. So this is mind reading. And this is something, again, so people can feel totally suffocated by the help of a two if it's done in the wrong way. So it's like micromanaging or, hey, I bet I bet they would love this. And it's more about assuming what they need versus asking or maybe even going inside into our into ourselves and using that empathy to connect with the person's feelings rather than connect with our own ideas about helping. She says an, a way to think about that idea was they still haven't found a job. I know how I would feel in that place, but I don't know how they feel. I will let them tell me how they feel and what they need. Great advice. A real empowering question for a type 2 is... What is mine to do and what is theirs to do? That's something we need to keep in mind because whether we're doing for others because we're distracted from ourselves or whether we're doing for others because we feel like we have to do it, it's important to ask ourselves that question. And there's going to be times when you realize that's theirs to do and boy, we really want to get in there and help. But once we answer that question for ourselves, we know and can trust that they will figure it out for themselves and that we're always there. We have this helper energy. So when they need the help, they know who to reach out to and we can go into our own self-care and take care of ourselves and put our energy there until they reach out for help and let go of the idea that we're the only ones that can help or we know better or they need us or any of that kind of thing. Some really fascinating things I love about this book is that they go into specific self-care for each type. So for type two, for heart care or emotional care, practice giving to those who cannot give in return. For example, volunteer to play with animals at a local shelter, at a local shelter. And that's so that we can get out of this um, practice, this idea that we're going to get something back. We're just going to learn to give and let go. We can also ask ourselves, if a friend of mine was experiencing what I'm experiencing right now, what would they need? And then give yourself that thing. Also, for self-care, when listening to someone talk about their stress or feelings, imagine having a beautiful vase sitting beside you. Visualize their feelings flowing into that vase instead of letting them seep into you. Because them, you holding space for their things is a lot of help instead of needing to just fix what they're telling you. So if you kind of imagine it coming over to the side of you, then you can just be present with that person. And that is so much more helpful and so much more healing to people than giving them an answer about how to fix what they're going to. There should be yucky energy there. And twos, we can sometimes do that. Self-care for the body. Give yourself a hug. Crossing your own arms over opposite sides of your body is soothing and comforting. Another body self-care. View exercise as a kind of act of kindness to your body. Your body wants to move so that it can feel healthy and strong. Use exercise as a gift to your body just as it is now, not to try and change it. 
and you will grow your sense of body and self-acceptance. In the library at the Wholeness Network, there is this awesome video about Craig and Jenny D. And they talk about how our heart has this pump that pumps blood and our lungs have the pump that pumps air. But our muscles, they the pump is to move them. When we move them, it pumps the toxins out of the muscles. And so to think about movement as a way of supporting your body rather than exercise. And that's kind of spoke to me probably because I'm a type two. Because this is the way it's like, it's more about, oh, my body needs to move than it is. I got it. Because we're, we're more of a gentle, I mean, could you imagine, you know, Dolly Parton, Eleanor Roosevelt, you don't imagine them sitting on a treadmill sweating away. There's just a different energy to the type twos and movement is just more gentle and, and more flowy than it's hardcore. Twos are not hardcore. So to view it as an act of kindness, when we feel emotional discomfort or anxiety start to sweep in, we need to ask our body where it's holding or feeling that emotion. Then, placing our hand firmly on that place, take a few minutes to close your eyes and deep, breathe deeply. So just support and love that peace that's holding that emotion for you. Super, super helpful and and modalities like Reiki and even maybe massage and gentle touch are really helpful to help support those areas. The mind also needs self-care. For type twos, find a new hobby or activity to pursue on your own. One just for your own enjoyment and enrichment, not to produce anything, not to help anybody else, not to show anybody else, not to tell anybody else, but just to fulfill your own pursuit. To support your mind this is interesting. Take yourself out to eat. Take yourself out on dates. Notice what it feels like to be with yourself. That's interesting that that's under mind, isn't it? Hmm. They also said, keep a simple emotion journal. Notice when you feel sad or uncomfortable and pause to write down the time of day, the feelings you're experiencing, and any connected thoughts and events. This is just kind of a roadmap to get your, to know yourself. The wings of a type 2 are type 1, the reformer, and type 3, the achiever. Both of these energies are very forward and direct and focused, which might be a little different than the type 2. The type 2 are just focused outwardly, and, and type 1s and type 3s know what they want. Just So it's great that we have these two wings to balance ourselves with and to draw from. The reformer sees what needs changing and then isn't afraid to speak for the change. So when we need to speak up about what we need, lean into that one a little bit for some extra support. The achiever is confident and gets things done and achieves things. That's why they're called the achiever. They, they just have to, in a way. So we can lean into that energy to achieve self-knowledge about ourselves to help us do things that are productive or going to give us the results that we actually want, not just the ones that we think we need to do. So these are ways to lean on the wings. In the Enneagram, there's there's different levels that we can show up as. A type two can show up in their egoic self and it can come across looking like flattery or they might act like a martyr 
They might be obsessive or codependent. They might be overbearing, intrusive, or they might be exhausted. On autopilot, so just kind of going with the flow and not having any effort into it or, or living unintentionally, they might feel lost. They might overanalyze things. That's when those thoughts start spinning. They might be caring. They care, but they're not passionate. They're devoted, which may, you know, they're devoted. It's like it can be good, but it can be bad, right? This is just on autopilot. They can be people-pleasing. Sometimes we want to help people and please please them for good reasons, and sometimes it's not good. They can be overly emotional. What we're looking to become is the enlightened type two by using the gifts of helping in the ways that are supportive of us and others, connecting relationships, that empath empathy that we have. We use those in order to move into a place of this enlightened type two, which the characteristics are loving of self and others. So we find this balance between loving ourselves and others, and that becomes uh, grounded in us. We are compassionate, in tune, rested, adaptable, generous, and nurturing. Type twos are in the feelings triad of the Enneagram. So we feel emotionally. Uh, we, we, our heart is our center and we look for that as our, it's one of our superpowers. It's our most tuned superpower, let's say. The emotion that we need to overcome is this feeling of shame. And this is one of the things that I thought for myself, maybe I'm a nine because nines would be more anger. And I, I feel like it's anger sometimes, but I, I understand the shame is, it's not like for me, it's not the shame of who I am. It's maybe just uncomfortable with being wrong. Like I have this shame. I can't handle shame or being wrong or guilty kind of a thing. And so that's kind of how I understand it. For me in a type two, when I am struggling or I'm stressed, I may appear as a type eight, the challenger, which is really interesting. So think of Josh Groban, you know, this gentle guy. And then all of a sudden he is sharp and angry and challenging and defiant and you're just like oh it just feels different so when I am stressed I will look very different than myself and I will get angry and I'll get snooty and I can get really difficult in a way that and it doesn't it comes across to other people extra terrible because it's not my nature so when I'm stressed or in order to bring myself back into balance, I move into the type four energy. Most likely I've gotten stressed because I've again overstepped my boundaries. I've worked harder than I have. So, so fours are the individualists. They keep to themselves. So I usually, I need to have some alone time. I need to be with myself, bring myself back to center. I need to, it helps sometimes for me to create something. I, a lot of my graphics that I share on social media might come from, I need to create something that's a little too true right now for, feels a little true. It's true. 
I create those things sometimes when I'm trying to pull myself back to center. And it brings me joy when I'm stressed. It just kind of takes all my thoughts and moves it into one place and focuses it. And I really, learning that about myself, that moving into creation and kind of getting into my own head that way really does bring me back into balance. I love it. We also, are, our nature is to move towards other people. We are compliant. That's just who we are. That's another trying. That's part of the Enneagram. I think these trines are kind of new for me, but they've been fascinating. It's true. I will move into someone else. I will move into discomfort more than I will stay away from it and move into connection. And there's a story. I was back visiting my my son, and as we were walking into our hotel, we were following this this gentleman who was dressed in his his attire for he was a we found out later it's part of the story that he is a franciscan monk so we'd gone into the hotel and when we were walking out he just happened to say you know what what was that guy that we saw walking in and i said oh i think he's a monk and when the doors opened there he was at and so it was this moment this awkward moment and I said, oh, hi, we were just talking about you and tell me, tell me who you are and what you do. And he was so kind and gentle. And I said, oh, the Franciscans, that's Richard Roy. I love it. And we had this beautiful conversation. And as we walked away, my, my son was like, wow, how did you do that? <laughs> but I've learned that I've gotten good at recognizing that feeling in my own body that says discomfort and then moving into it. I always find that it's much better if I move into that feeling and connect with another person. That's my particular energy, maybe. But I connect with the person, and then it all goes away, and we have this beautiful conversation where it could have been really awkward, and we could have just walked away and, you know, kind of put our heads down and try and just live through the awkward moment. But instead, I used connection to kind of create this relationship, and we had a a great little conversation. So that's one of the the tools of the type two that I've learned to refine and fine tune that's created these great relationships I've been able to have with people I'm, I've just met. I'll be at the store and I've noticed, you know, that, that they have maybe a large tattoo and I can tell because I feel it in myself that there's meaning there. And I might say, I tell me about that. And there's just room for connection because I ask questions and I look for ways to connect with people, not because I'm expecting them to like me back, but because I learned a lot through the Enneagram that connection is one of my superpowers and I can walk away feeling so much better. And I know that they walk away feeling better because, because we have this connection, this relationship built in just a few minutes time. That's the beauty of the type two. That's been a long journey to attain for me. So a type two in dealing with the other types, might work with a type one and say, you know, and the performer says, this is what's going on. And they kind of speak the same language because they're wings. But the reformer says, we've got to go protest. We've got to do this thing. And the helper will say, all right, what do you need? We'll make signs. And they might do all the stuff to help the reformer. 
the two might do the same thing with the achiever. The achiever's like, I've got this goal and I got this. And, and the, and the type two is thinking, oh, well, I can help you do that. And do you need this? And what about this? The type two with the four, they can help the four to help them be who they are because a type four will move into a type two under stress. So a type four is, they know who they are. They're very individual. They're, they're kind of reserved. And then when they're stressed, they turn into this like helper over compassionate, like it's just not their energy. It doesn't feed them. It drains them. So we can help the fours remember and remind them that it's okay for them to be themselves. It's okay for them to be different. It's okay for them to be who they are because they're, they teach us something, what we have value from them because we go to them to help balance us out so we can help support them and give them um, some confidence in just the nature of who they are. They can feel on the outside a lot and we can, we can help them by saying, yeah, but that outside has purpose. Type two with the investigator. This is an interesting combination that often come together. And in fact, my husband is a type five. So this often happens because the type five can be so much into their head and those kind of things that they kind of this, this helper or this emotional person helps give them something that they didn't learn for themselves so that they can help them find some emotional balance. The type two with the six, in my opinion, the type two can just be a little bit of a ground for a type six. Type sixes can be kind of worried and and they, they're called the loyalist, but sometimes that loyalty is so much that they lose themselves, similar to the type twos. So they they need to, the twos can help the, the loyalist in helping rather than just freezing and the type six can help the two be a little more loyal to themselves, maybe teach them some loyalty. So uh, type two in the seven, <laughs> I think the two wants to just maybe overly mother the type seven and help them figure their life out and help them get things done where that could be irritating maybe to a type seven because they do things their own way and they want to be independent and they they just kind of do things at their own pace and in their own way and it's a fine line between for sevens between being who they are and and having their own drum that they beat to and maybe not being responsible and so twos can kind of overpower that irresponsibility or 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 describe them as irresponsible when they're really kind of being their own authority using and their own way of beating their drum to the world, right? Twos and eights, because we go to them for stress, they go to us for balance. I have befriended a lot of female eights. They just kind of come to me and I feel like they're, they often say to me that I can handle them or that they feel calm around me or they feel supported around me because that my energy is the one that they look to, to, to come into balance. And then a two and a nine, like I say, I feel like these are like sisters. They, they have a lot in common. The nines are peacemakers and, and will give of themselves for peace. Twos give of themselves 
most maybe more to get something back where nines don't maybe that's why I was hopeful I was a nine but it's true twos are more likely to help for a purpose a response whether that's positive or negative it doesn't it's not always negative but that's we we give in order to get in some way and nines would more if they're going to give it's more because they they're either losing themselves or or they're reformed and it's just they've just let go and don't have attachment to it and they just are and they're just not looking for something in return and so it can be beautiful in both ways so that is the very vulnerable type two for me on in the Enneagram and the show notes there is a there will be a link to download a graphic of the Enneagram that you can just have and keep with you and learn it has all the trines the different ways that we get stress and, and not and it's really helpful to learn not just about yourself but others so when all of a sudden your spouse or your child or your partner or whoever shows up in this really different energy you can understand why immediately you know when you learn their type and you'll recognize that where they go to stress shows up you can also download a values list because we talked about that in the beginning that understanding your values along with your type just helps to refine a little more of you because these personality tests are helpful but we can't just look at them and they don't just have all the answers there's tons of specifics that can change and make everything a little different. And one of those is our values. So if you download this list of values, you pick two or three, maybe you pick 10 at first, and then you narrow down, you kind of see which ones are similar, narrow down until you get two is best, three if you have to. And then it kind of helps you understand a little bit about yourself too, because your key fears and your key motivations are going to be affected by uh, like working toward them and fixing them or whatever you want to call it has a lot to do with our values whether we go in this direction or that direction to support our our um, key fears and motivations you can also take a test there'll be a link for you to take the test on the Enneagram and find out your type and again at at that link there's a place for you to send me an email and then I send you a packet that kind of tells you a little bit more about yourself And we also have the link for the book that you can get and a link for the wholeness library. We'll see you next time with type threes, the achiever. We invite you to the wholenessnetwork.com where you'll find the wholeness library. Inside you'll find tutorials, downloads, mini classes, and all sorts of streaming content for you on your wholeness journey. Thank you.